You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. It's great to be back. Thanks so much to Brigitte Hedden-Curtin from Burren Smokehouse for presenting last week's show. I hope if you went up to Listonvarna for the Burren Slow Food Festival at the weekend, you had a fantastic time. Congratulations go out this evening to the winners announced at last week's RAI Irish Restaurant Awards. It was great to see the Dunraven Arms Hotel in West Limerick's Adair, recognised for Best Customer Service and I'll be talking to Hugh Murphy from the Dunraven about what the accolade means to him and his team. Staying in Adair, I paid a visit to the market on Friday last and spoke to Kira Brennan at her Happy Food at Home stand. We'll hear that chat later in the programme. Ron Forrestal, our resident wine guru, returns this evening and tonight he's going to be talking to us about summer wines. And then finally, at the end of the show, Theresa's story from the Green Apron and Limerick Food Group has details about how to get involved in the Pig Town Festival coming up this autumn in Limerick City and County. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So tonight, Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants is back with us with his latest wine recommendations. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ron, you're very welcome to the studio tonight. Thanks, Sharon. We think summer's here. Yes, yes, it's it's been a great spell of weather. So we're going to talk about summer wines. Yes, uh, you know, it's a bit early maybe yet, but it's good to have these things in your mind and to to start planning maybe for uh, when the weather really takes off. Okay. So lots of different countries here. Yes, yeah, I know we're we're doing a kind of a a breakdown on countries each, each time we come on, but tonight I just thought we'd take a break and look at some of the ones that really suit when the weather's good, you're maybe sitting out um, and want something that's very drinkable, uh, not overly expensive and uh, very fresh and that kind of summer feel to it. Well, let's start with one of my favourites and that's the Vino Verde from Portugal. Yes, uh, Vino Verde is, is a um, very traditional uh, Portuguese wine. Uh, Vino Verde means green wine, so it is actually very, has a real green tinge in it. It has a slight effervescence similar to a very light, very light Prosecco. Um, but it's a really fresh... I had a glass of this the other night, um, and it's it's lovely. It's really drinkable. It's um, perfect. The alcohol level isn't too high, so it's it's has that... It's perfectly built for sitting outside. The percentage level on it is only 9.5%, which is probably 2 or 3% more less than most of them, which makes a huge difference, especially when you're drinking earlier in the day or in the evening. It definitely is one for the summer, for the fine weather. It's yes. not one for drinking by a, a roaring fire. No, it doesn't work like that at all. It needs to be really cold. Um, and it, this one is called Gas- Castle Garcia, a very distinctive label. If you've been on holidays in Portugal, you'll see it in Portugal. It's one of their one of their most prominent uh, and most respected uh, Vino Verdes. Yet great value, you know, costing around €11 Euros a bottle, eleven fifty a bottle. Is that made in a different way to other wines because there's the bit of effervescence in it? Yes, indeed, yeah. There's a slight carbonation in it. I mean, very slight now. You can just about see it. You're not going to have bubbles rushing up through the glass when you have it. Uh, And it's served in a normal wine glass. It's not served in what you'd have in a champagne glass. Slightly different. Little sugar added, which gives us that bit of what uh, forms that natural sugars along with the natural sugars and makes that slight effervescence, but really slight. But what it makes is that it makes it really fresh. 
What sort of grape is that made with? Vinaverdi. That's, that's yeah, yeah. actually yeah. the name of the yeah, grape, okay. Absolutely. And is there a part of Portugal that it would come from? Yeah, or? it's a Joven, it's coming from the, if you look at Portugal as a, as, a, as a rectangle running down the side of Spain, it's coming from the top left-hand corner. Okay. Out to the coast, which is where the, the sea and where the seafood is, and it goes particularly well with seafood. And you mentioned Prosecco there, and you have a Prosecco from Treviso, yeah. is it? Yes, yeah. This is a Prosecco. This is a Prosecco Versante. It has a scoot cap top. Um, it's one from Esos Valdo. Uh, it's brand new to us. It's a new range of, of uh, the Pinot Grigio as well. Really nice products. This is a very good value, costing around just over 10 euros a bottle. Um, but it, everything about the, the, these producers is quality, absolute quality. Um, it has a lovely bubble in it. Um, it has a big sister than full pop-off cork Prosecco as well, which is really nice. Uh, but this is just great value, perfect for the for summertime drinking. How much is it a bottle? About 11 euros, just over 10, between 10, 15, 11 euros. Okay, yeah, yeah. that is very good value. Yeah, it is. And yeah. the, the, screw tap, the screw cap is very handy. Oh, it's perfect. You know, it's just ideal, particularly if you're drinking a couple of glasses of it and want to put it back in the fridge. And the only thing is it doesn't last too long because Prosecco is going to die really, but the, the bubble is going to lose in it, but the taste isn't going to change that dramatically. But yeah, the screw cap is really handy, particularly when you're out and you only have to open as many as when you open it as you want it, then as opposed to pre-opening anything, which is. And the proseccos are usually a bit lower in alcohol. They're usually yeah, around eleven they percent. Yeah, they tend to be a bit. Um, now this one um, is eleven percent. Yeah, you very seldom you get any a prosecco that'll reach up to twelve percent. Champagne is the same; it just won't have that. Why is that? Um, it's it's probably the procedure for itself. It, it's a long process that it goes through. Um, for champagne, for the full champagnes, um, a lot of them are coming from the north of, of France, uh, just don't have the sunshine, don't have the sugar in the product, which means it doesn't turn into alcohol, so it's just lower. Um, and these all would have sugar added again, and the reason they add sugar to them is because it generates that process that gives it the bubble, that gives it the natural bubble, as opposed to, it's not injected with, with uh, carbon dioxide or anything, it, it has a real natural bubble in it. How long would it take for a bottle of that to be made from the grape being picked until it's in the bottle and ready to sell? Well, this one and the screw cap ones work kind of a bit quicker. They'll probably be in a bottle within six or seven weeks. Really? Yeah. As quickly as that? As quickly as that. Wow. But it's, it's, the, it's the champagne ones. If you take a full bottle of champagne, that procedure is very drawn out and very complicated uh, with yeast and um, the yeast tilting bottles and letting the yeast settle to the top and taking that out, very long process, hence your pain for your product because okay. it's really hands-on. There's no machines that can do it. It's, it's, uh, it's as you see, you need to be able to look at the bottle and say it's ready now and, and very difficult process. And of course, we had the Prosecco scare there last year that there was going yeah, to be a shortage. Really yeah. Really. It's, yeah, everything's okay then. Everything's okay. And I, I was talking to, a, to a, an Italian uh, producer recently about this and we're talking about Pinot Grigio and Prosecco. And we were saying that Prosecco is massive, you know, it's huge in Ireland. Yeah, he said, it's just a shame Ireland isn't very big. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's very popular, but it's not as big as, it's made huge advances in the UK and Ireland. But it's a huge amount of it being produced. And they're extending the area every year. Uh, Prosecco area is growing geographically, which means there's more and more Prosecco being produced in areas that were 20, 30 miles away from the original border of Prosecco. So much more uh, pragmatic about producing it. And there's a lot of producers. There seems to be a lot of it out there. Um, some of the quality is really dodgy. Um, you really need to pay a certain amount of it to get 
to get a certain and I, I just think you always need to try and find something that's actually produced by somebody as in they produce a label it's their label they have a bit of background to it a bit of tradition and, and uh, um, you know maybe a, even the second generation involved in it but basically you can buy Prosecco in bulk from anywhere and put any kind of label you want on it and they're best avoided and in terms of duty then, is there a different duty yeah. on Prosecco than there or champagne or anything that has fizz in it compared to ordinary wine? Well, no, the, the, this Frizzante, the one you see with a screw cap is the same as a bottle of wine. Uh, but the one to pop off cork because that's a higher pressure level in the bottle, it's double. Uh, so all champagne is all double. Uh, all the Proseccos with the pop off corks are all double, hence the cost. Okay. So there's 640 a bottle duty on one of those. Yeah, so six forty a bottle, and then if you're buying a bottle at eleven euros, oh, you wouldn't get anything with a pop off cork for eleven euros. Okay, it just wouldn't happen. Um, or like if the you cheapest did, you get them for like sixteen or seventeen euros would be the cheapest. But out of that, now you'd have vat of three fifty. You'd have the six forty duty coming out, and even at that, you'd have very little left for anybody else. So you'd really question. You'd only spend around eighteen or twenty euros on a bottle of prosecco. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to move on now to, is this a French wine? Yes, south of France, Languedoc, uh, just uh, north of Béziers in the south of France. And this is a range that we've just taken on called Bachelery, uh, Domaine de Bachelery. Uh, really relatively small producer, but just a fantastic um, varietal wine range. Um, in this range, we have uh, Pinot Noir, we have uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot in the Reds, we have Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc in the Whites, and then we have a Rosé, which is a Pinot Noir Rosé. And they're great value. This is like a, a just over 10 euros a bottle, and it's a fantastic product. Yeah, I didn't realise now that Rosé, that Pinot Noir grapes made Rosé. Yes, they, they always use red grapes to make Rosé, because the... I think, as, as we said before, the juice that's in a grape is clear. It doesn't have any colour. Well, the only thing that gives wine colour is the skins. So the red wine, the skins are left in there, and that generates the colour. And the longer they're left in with the, with the juice, the longer, the, the more colour they get. The, and with what happens, so with white wine, they can pull out the, 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 the skins and the flesh of the grapes after they mulch together. They can pull them out relatively quickly. Um, with reds, they leave them in there for four or five days to generate the colour. The more colour they want and the more tannins they get. But then with the rosé, there's a mid-ground there that they leave them in for a little while just to get the colour in it, depending on what kind of colour they want, and then whip them out. So you end up with that kind of almost like salmon coloured and the lighter ones. And then you see roses that come from Chile and South America were very deep in colour, or from Spain as well tend to have very deep ones. And that's just left in there longer and the skins get more contact, and that gives the colour. And what would you recommend putting this rosé with? Is it the sort of drink you can have standalone, or does yeah. it go well with certain foods? Well, what rosés tend to be is te- they tend to be fairly... They're not, they're not that dry. They tend to be a bit more medium-dry, medium, medium dry, so they're easier to drink. Uh, like Sauvignon Blanc can be very dry. Chardonnay is a bit more medium, but this is a more fruity kind of medium drink. Uh, they're ideal to drink before you sit down. Like, roses are huge in the UK. If you go into a bar in the UK, you'll see two white wines by the glass, two roses and two reds. 
That's, and it's very rare you'd see that here. It should be very unusual mm. to see that here. There might be four reds and four whites here and one rosé. And that might only be for the summer months. It could be dropped for the rest of the year again because it just wouldn't have people drinking it enough mm-hmm. to justify it. And it's saying here that about the fresh red fruit notes and perfect with mm. melon salads, sweet and sour dishes. Mm. That's quite interesting. And exotic cooking. There you go. Well, now... Th- See the thing is that I suppose there's a bit more body to it because it's it, it has a it's a red grape so there's a bit more to it so the it rosy does work now it's saying that when they, they say exotic foods it's very difficult to pick wine with exotic food but if you're taking the exotic means Asian or anything like that because the food is so strong you know the flavors are so strong you find it very hard to get wine to accompany it mm-hmm. and a lot of the time beer accompanies it much better um, so it does. And particularly reds are very hard to put with them because reds react, you know, particularly into a chili. Red really reacts with that when you're drinking it. It's very difficult to do. Um, whereas at least the whites are cold, you know, they have that kind of better feeling. But the rosé then has a bit more body to it. But really, Irish people tend to drink rosé when the sun comes out sometime between May and September. Okay. And then the red version of it. Yeah, this is the full red version, which means that this has got the four or five extra days with the... With the uh, grapes in the mulch with the um, in the juice and this is a, a Pinot Noir is the lightest of the reds generally this is a lovely delicate real easy drinking uh, red perfect for people who are moving on who don't drink a lot of red and, and find red a bit overpowering maybe this is the perfect one to start with and what do they retail at? just under 11 euros okay so it's good with the great value yeah. and they're both around 12.5% as well yes. I mean, I wouldn't normally associate a red wine with with summer. I know there's some red mm. wines that you would be drinking that are, some people would chill certain red wines. Yeah, well, if you go to Spain, they tend to chill most of the red wines. Really? Uh, well, mainly because it's too warm not to chill them. Like if you leave them mm. at the temperature, the rest will be at 24, 25 degrees, which is tepid. <laughs> so they have to keep them cool. So they tend to chill them down a little bit more than they should. Uh, so with the idea that when you're sitting outside a Spanish restaurant and put one on a table, it's going to heat up very quickly so that's what they do and the reason about that one is like red wine some people drink red all the time like they don't drink white at all so they're going to ha- they, they might just like something that, that they can have it you know for a barbecue at 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening where they don't want to have a Shiraz from Australia that's very heavy and as you sleep by 9 o'clock they want something a bit lighter and that Pinot Noir is perfect yeah, good to know that it's the Pinot Noir is the lightest of the, of yeah. the red good to know that Okay, and then the last one you have is from the Marlborough region. That's New Zealand. New Zealand. And this is Kono. Um, it's, this is a beautiful range of wines from the first 100% Maori-owned vineyard in, in New Zealand. Uh, 100% owned by them. They own a cooperative. They produce some fantastic food, everything from raising their own cattle, but have a, a vineyard as well. And this thing, this wine is winning all around it. It's it's won some fantastic uh, awards in the last couple of years. So it has, but it's a lovely product. Not overly expensive now, not the same price level. That one jumps up, it's up to like 16 euros a bottle for this now. But it's a smashing product and it looks, it's fresh, it's perfumed. It's, for people who like New Zealand wine, this is, this is, uh, really want to try it's very light in colour for the bottle is kind of uh, kind of uh, putting that okay. kind of tension as you'll notice that when the wine is empty okay. they, make it, they want to make it look like it's really fresh yes because you know, it looks very similar in colour to the Vino Verde yeah, yeah it does yeah yeah. but the bottle is tension that in okay. first it's a slight green in the bottle okay and I like the way then they have a bit of their story on the label here about being the first 
um, people, the environmental guardians for generations in the mists of time, our ancestors made an epic journey to this land, which they continue to nurture. That's Mm -hmm. people are more interested in that side of things now. I have this on on a good few wine lists now and uh, it gets a great response because, you know, when you're when you're I do some work with staff, training staff and opening it and what people ask you when you're sitting down in a restaurant, what to say. And it's funny, people really latch on to this story of this one. You know, that it's Maori, it's it's the first one, really. Uh, like, Maori's have been involved in, in wine production before, but this is owned wholly. It's their own vineyard, and it's plus it's part of a whole movement that they have for food, um, which is a fantastic story. But the product is really good now. It's not just a, you know, a, um, a hobby. This is the real deal. They're producing a lot of wine and some really, really good product, but nothing cheap at all. It's all really premium quality product. Well, all great looking and sounding wines, Rom, and um, very important to, to stay hydrated during the summer <laughs> now, so it is. So Absolutely. you've fixed us right up with that. If people want to order off you, what's the best way sure, for them yeah, to do yes, it? Sure, yeah, we have a website, it's forestal.ie, um, or on Facebook, message on Facebook, or it's, it's very easy to find us. Fantastic. Listen, thanks so much for coming in tonight. Thanks, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. Just before the break, Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants had some lovely summer wine suggestions for us. And if you're just tuning in to tonight's show and you missed that, you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast, which is on the website SharonNoonan.com or have a look for it there in iTunes to download free of charge. And you can also listen to it using the podcast app. And still to come tonight, we're going to be finding out about how to get involved in the Pig Town Festival coming up this autumn in Limerick City and County. And I'll be passing on our congratulations to Hugh Murphy at the Dunraven Arms in the beautiful village of Adair for the hotel's latest award that they received at the RAI Irish Restaurant Awards last week. And speaking of Adair, that's where we're going to next. And it's to the new market that's on there every Friday. I visited it last week and there's lots of great stalls there. It's well worth a visit. I spoke to Kira Brennan at her Happy Food at Home stall, which sells vegan food. Let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Kira, happy food at home. It's vegan food. It is, yes. Hi, how are you? I'm great. And you're a vegan for a couple of years now. Just tell us what a vegan is. So a vegan is somebody who doesn't eat any um, animal-based products at all and is eating plant at all times. So anything with no eggs, no dairy, no meat, no fish, no chicken... So nothing to do with any animal-based products. So people might think, gosh, well, what, what do you eat then that's going to fill you up and how do you get your iron? So tell us some of the staples in a vegan diet. Okay, so as you can see here from my stall, it's full of gorgeous food. So the main thing that people will be worried about is protein. So you get your protein from your nuts, from your pulses, from your beans, from your legumes. And an awful lot of protein is found in a lot of greens, as well which people are unaware of now you might need to eat a little bit more but there's plenty of it iron and fiber again from your um like things like brown rice lentils seeds full of it and you don't eat need to eat a lot and that's how you get full it's amazing how filling you know plant-based is 
why did you decide to turn to this sort of diet and, and incorporate it into your life? So I was vegetarian all my life. My, I remember like being four, my mother trying to feed me bolognese and I just wouldn't eat it. So I, um, I just didn't like the texture of it. There was something inside me that didn't like meat. So when I went into hotel management and I was studying to be a chef, really, I was forced to you know, cook meat that didn't sit well with me. So eventually I just said, you know what, I'm not going to cook it anymore. Um, and then I just became, I looked into veganism and decided that that was for me. So that's so how I became a vegan, really. You've been doing it for two years. Been doing veganism for two years. Veganism yeah. for yeah. two years, and then in October, November last year, you decided to start and make a business out of it. Yeah, I was actually I was I'm, I, I was diagnosed with breast cancer last year, so that incorporated into my life. Um, and I was cooking dinner parties, and from then people were ordering food. I decided I would get a base, and I thought the best thing to do was to do it in a market stall. So I started in the milk market last November and the business has grown organically. I've now got five stalls around the city. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. And, and what are people's reaction to it? What are the sort of questions that they would ask you whenever they come up? Where I can see a gentleman here now. Yeah. I'd say he's dying to ask a question. He's looking at everything with, with great interest. He's very shy. He's not going to ask the question. No, and, and I find a lot of people actually come and look at the food because it's so enticing, because it's full of colour um, and it's very vibrant. And I find that people are eating with their eyes. So I didn't want to... I didn't want to put veganism as a label. I think people are very scared of the word vegan. They think it's a bit of courgette with some parsley. And it's so much more. It's, some, it's, it's very exciting, I think. So I decided that I would always display my food. And that's why I think I'm getting a lot of, of customers coming in. So, in fact, a lot of my customers would nearly be carnivores. But they are putting more plant-based food into their diet, which is encouraging. Well, let's talk about some of the different dishes that you have yeah. here today. So let's start up here with these lentil burgers. Yeah. So my lentil burgers are staple in everybody's diet at the moment. So we can either do that in a salad or what goes down really well. I do um, a market stall in Mary Eye on a Thursday. The students are lapping it up. So I put that into a wrap with some cabbage salad, some hummus and some mayos. Um, and a lot of then raw, raw foods go into that as well. So... Full of fibre, full of iron and full of protein. So you've got everything in, in the one burger there. Um, then we've got like a puy lentil with roast beetroot and roast pepper. Um, very, very flavoursome and the colour's really good as well. Do you put some dressing or oil in there? What I do. do. You put into now it? I, I do. I, all my dressings are with um, extra virgin olive oil, but I don't cook with oil. So it's not a saturated fat then. So any of the oil that I used is literally in the dressing. So even when I'm roasting or I'm baking, it's all dry baked. I don't do any oils at that stage. So I only add it towards the end. So it's a good source. And why, why is that? There must be a reason why you I dry just, it's, bake. It's just, I don't want it to be a saturated fat. A lot of people are concerned when they're eating things like lentils because they're worried about the fat content. So I want to concentrate on the good fat content because you need good fats. So... Olive oil is a brilliant good fat. Now, obviously, you're not going to eat it by the, the pint or drink it by the pint. So it's just a little drizzle. So I use um, mainly red wine vinegar, a bit of mustard and olive oil as I would be the main source of my dressings. Now, what's this here? Is this like a pasta dish? So this is noodle and kimchi. So, oh, tell us what kimchi okay, is. Okay, so kimchi is fermented cabbage. So I actually got this recipe from a Korean chef in Sydney about 25 years ago. So it's just fermented cabbage with paprika and cayenne pepper. And you just keep on putting it 
layers and layers and layers of it. Um, so that's about two weeks fermented now. Now you should probably go a little bit longer, the experts would say, but I like the flavour of it. And I've just incorporated it with some noodles and a bit of turmeric. Again, turmeric, really, really good. Ginger, very good for energy levels. So I'm trying to incorporate all of that type of food. There's lots of talk at the moment about fermented foods. Is that mm. something that features quite a lot in vegan dishes? It is. It's something that I'm only actually getting into. I'm actually going to be talking to um, Val O'Connor about that in the coming weeks. Um, so we were talking last week about doing something. That's the only thing I can do at the moment is the kimchi. So there's sauerkrauts and there's lots of other things that we need to be going because I do think that that's the future. So it's incorporating it into to the foods. This dish here, is this couscous or is it quinoa? Quinoa. Quinoa just plain quinoa with lots of roasted veggies and there's lots of protein in quinoa loads of protein in quinoa like if you're really looking for a good source of protein quinoa and sesame seeds are your best go-to like even a teaspoon of sesame seeds is where you're going to get enough protein and what have you added into that then there's roasted vegetables is there anything else in it no that's it just roasted veggies and a bit of paprika and garlic just to to bake them but i bake my vegetables for anything from four to five hours on a really slow heat so all the natural juices come come out and that's where you get the flavor so that's where i step in people don't have four hours to bake their vegetables so and you use a lot of different spices then that's what gives a lot of the the foods their flavor Um, not a lot just paprika on that one yeah, okay. I, d- I don't. I don't do. I, d- I don't do too many flavors. I, I like to keep them simple. So there's lots of different varieties of flavors. Now this dish, what's this here? This is rhubarb crumble. Oh, it's a dessert. Okay. It's a dessert. Yeah, and I've got that with. Um, a, it's actually a vanilla yogurt, but it's it's um, it's dairy free. So it's like a custard. But I just had loads of rhubarb in my garden. So how, how do you make a dairy free custard? I don't. I actually bought that one. Okay. <laughs> so, I, without giving any names away, I won't do that. But it's it's dairy free. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And then this is this a brown so, rice? Dish? So that's a red rice. I do that with red rice and pre lentils and some almonds. Again, full of protein, full of fiber. Now there's a dish here which I'd say would appeal to the carnivores. They wouldn't realise until yeah. they get stuck into it that it actually isn't meat. Yeah, so that's my lasagna, my all veg lasagna. Um, I don't even do it with pasta, so I layer it with courgette. I layer it with um, uh, sweet potato, lots of roast veggies, some pre lentils, some roasted peppers. Um, lots of nice tomato cherry tomato sauce with garlic and then I do a bechamel and the way I do my bechamel is usually with um, steeped cashew nuts and some coconut oil so there's no cheese in it no, no cheese no, milky no sauce. nothing like that yeah yeah. Okay. It it looks very appetising, as do all of the dishes. In fact, and then this one here. What's so that? that is my version of a of a Thai soup. So it's just a broth with um, it's a mushroom ketchup actually that I get down in the the market from Ballyhara. Yeah, mushrooms. So I use that instead of a fish sauce, um, and some cumin and what else have I got in there? Ginger, turmeric, just lots of veggies and vermicelli, and really really popular. And people actually chicken in there they tell me so they poach their chicken in there but like look they're buying plant-based so i'm delighted okay so i'm making a wrap now so what i do is i just do a wrap with some hummus and some vegan mayonnaises what sort of hummus is it so it's just a normal chickpea with tahini and garlic so very very plain hummus and these are all vegan and you make them all yourself i bake them all myself so then i do a dill mayo and how do you make mayo if there's no eggs in it? I do it with soya 
and um, sunflower oil. They will be the two main ingredients of them. And it's just when they counteract together, that's how, how it gets quite thick. Okay. Always good to have a Nutribullet. <laughs> okay. That's what makes it makes it work. Um, so you put all of those on the wrap, all yeah. those different three different flavours, and then yes. some cabbage and, and then lettuce. I do cabbage and spinach um, and a bit of carrot just for some crunch. And what's the carrot? Is it done in a vinaigrette? It's it done looks... in yeah, in a bit of sh- sherry vinegar. Lovely. It, just to Lovely. make it. Now sometimes I might put coriander in that, but I find that a lot of people aren't mad about coriander. Yeah. So I, I I'd try be to an anti-coriander person. Yes, you were myself. mentioning that. Yeah, so I try to keep it keep it away. Um, or I might do seeds. So then I just um, I heat up. Um, what I do is braised potatoes and um, the lentil wrap, as we were mentioning earlier, and wrap it all together. Look at that! Doesn't that look yum? I mean, there's a lot in it. it there's is a lot. Packed. So what people tend to do is that I'm quite generous with my portions. I have to say, um, is that they might take half of it home. just wrapping it all up there and if they like I might put even um, a raspberry vinegar or something like that on that just to bring the flavours out so I just what's your personal favourite vegan dish oh okay do you know what I love is I love to take one of these wraps home and put it in the oven and let it crisp up on the outside and then it's all yummy on the inside that hour I love um grabbing about three or four different salads and pushing it into a baked potato you know when you're just really really hungry at the end of the day and you want some yumminess and a new thing that I've just done there is brown rice with pre lentils kale and um, spinach with some baked cherry tomatoes and you mentioned earlier about dinner parties that you've yes. been catering for dinner parties so what what would be on the menu at a dinner party that was all vegan food so what i did for i did four five communions actually over the, the last weekend so i have terrines which is just lots of layers of um roasted veg and i might do a cashew nut butter in the middle and some roasted peppers and then um cover it with a nice spinach leaf I do lots of different mixtures of salads. Pastas go down really, really well. You know, when you're having um, a dinner party or a lot of people like to do buffets, so throwing lots of things out on the table. I do a nut roast. Now, I know people go, oh, no, it's really, really boring, but my nut roast is delicious. So, and I do that with probably a tomato um, sauce. And what else? Lasagna. Lasagna goes down a treat. But it's all veg lasagna. Okay. Um, in winter time, then I might go for things like mushroom pies, aubergine pies, um, and uh, what else do I do in the winter time? Is this Excuse. like is this so a curry a veg- or? Yeah, it's yeah. A, no, that's actually a vegetarian chili. I should call it a vegan chili, and I've got a curry there as well. So it's with chickpea and potato curry. So there's just lots of options. A huge selection here, yeah. and you're at the market in a day or today. You're also in the milk market. I'm in on the milk a market on a Saturday morning, upstairs on a Saturday morning. So we're the only stall upstairs, um, and people can sit down and eat and enjoy it, or a lot of people come in and, and order their lunches with me, so they go walk away with a five-lunch pack, and then they've got their, their lunches sorted for the week. And are, are you on the boardwalk in the I'm market on the on a Wednesday? boardwalk on a Wednesday, in the lime tree on a Thursday, here on a Friday and then Saturday and Sunday in the milk market. So I'm going to get a, a salad box yes. here and I want okay. you to advise me what okay. to put into it because I want a nice protein-rich, okay. healthy, it's going to be healthy, so you've no choice. To, I'm going to start with the lentil burger. Okay, lovely. Okay. 
perfect. Because I think that is going to be... Now, you can you can take that home and heat it up or you can eat it cold. I would suggest heating it up. So that is all, like, all the protein you can possibly imagine. And there's a bit of nutritional yeast as well in there, which is, is a go-to food for a lot of, of vegans. I'm going to put a little bit of brown rice in there and some fresh spinach and kale leaves. So you've got your fibre and, again, some protein. Would you like some quinoa? Yeah, sounds quinoa good. Some quinoa and roast veggies. Now, I could do brown rice, but I'm not going to. I'm going to come away now, and I'm going to give you a nice um, spinach salad with coconut and blueberries, because that's going to liven it up a little bit. Um, and the coconut is just a gorgeous flavour, and the blueberries and um, red onion. Do, do you do raw onion? Yeah, yeah yep. love it, yeah. Um, and we've got that there. And I'm just going to top that off with a tahini dressing, just to to zing it up a little bit Fantastic. there's lots of other things you can have but I think if you overload it a bit too much you might do now there's a lovely pasta that I do there as well with um, lemon zest lemon juice and basil and that's a really really nice like lunch that you could actually enjoy so how does that sound it, how does that it look? looks delicious yeah it looks fabulous and there's loads there for eight euros it's great value yeah yeah so um, yeah trying to pack it up as much as you possibly can and a lot of people take that home and w- would have that now for the the next few days listen i'm going to look forward to that now if people want to find out more about you and your business where should they go so they can follow me on facebook at happyfoodathome.com or i've got a website www.happyfood.com i'm on twitter and i'm on instagram happyfoodathome.com fantastic well listen best of luck with thank it thank you very much and thanks for talking to me today thank you pleasure hope you enjoy your lunch you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. Just before the break, I was at the Friday Market in Adair Village in West Limerick and got to enjoy a lovely vegan lunch by Kira Brennan of Happy Food at Home. And when I was there, I also spoke to Claire McDonnell from the Sandwich Sisters and I'll air that chat next week. If you are just tuning in to tonight's show, feel free to catch the full programme later in the week on the podcast and you'll find that on SharonNoonan.com or have a look around iTunes, it's in there and you can also use the podcast app to listen to it. Still to come tonight, we're going to be finding out about how to get involved in the Pigtown Festival coming up this autumn in Limerick City and County. Next, so we're staying in Adair and it's to hear from Hugh Murphy in the award-winning Dunraven Arms Hotel. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Hugh, congratulations on your latest award, the best customer service in Ireland. You must be delighted. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic uh, a surprise, very much a surprise, but we're delighted to have won it. Um, but definitely a, a team effort. And uh, we've, a, we've a fantastic team, not just in the restaurant, but in the whole hotel. But it's a great honour for, for our restaurant and particularly the team that are there, who've been there a long time, John Shovelin, Dennis O'Reardon and David Hayes in the kitchen. So yeah, it's a great, great honour to win. You were up against some major contenders now. Nevin Maguire's McNean House was yeah. the best in Ulster. You were the best in Munster. So yeah. as you say, it was a really big surprise. A complete surprise. I think even to, to have won Limerick, we were surprised. Uh, Munster was a shock when we won the the Munster section, and then it was just it's yeah it's amazing. You talk about the 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 people, the the restaurants that were in it. Chapter one were also in for for Leinster, so yeah, it was fantastic. It was 
amazing, amazing award to win. Well, obviously well-deserved. And you mentioned John there and Dennis. Your staff and your team are very important to you, and they're here a long time. Yeah, John. John's here, I'd say, 37, 38 years. Dennis is about 35 years. So, they're, yeah, they're with us a very long time. So it's a great... Uh, it's a great achievement for them and it just shows the kind of the work that we've done over such a long period of time that it pays off that we're, you know, it's nice to recognise that as well. So I think we're delighted for them as well as, as, as for the hotel and the, and the restaurant. And in that time frame, they have seen some very prestigious and famous people. Yeah, we've been very lucky over the years, uh, particularly with the Pro-Am. Uh, we had the likes of Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones and we had Tiger Woods in the, in, in the ballroom for dinner. Uh, we'd Aidan Quinn, Hugh Grant. Yeah, it was amazing. So we've been very lucky over the years with the the guests that have stayed with us and dined with us in the hotel. So and hopefully many more to come as well. Of course, yeah. And royalty are no strangers. Yeah. International royalty. Yeah, that's correct. So we Princess Anne stayed with us then as well, and that was for Ireland played Scotland. She came down and stayed with us for two nights. Uh, which was fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, we've been very lucky over the years. And again, hopefully there's more royalty and more stars to come again. There's a lovely photograph in the, the foyer there of Princess Grace. Yeah, and I'd right. be a huge admirer of her, yeah. you know, one of these fascinations growing yeah. up as a child. And she was here with her children and husband when the children yeah. were quite small. Yeah, that's right. So we have that was 1961. And that was they stayed in what we now call the, the, the Princess Grace suite, which is in the 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 old part of the building but which is now our new rooms our newly refurbished rooms in the hotel so and it's still there and we, we kind of hope it still retains the character of when when she came all those years ago but it was wonderful I mean wonderful for the village back then as well that she came that she stayed with us while she was passing through through the area How long has the hotel been in your family what's the history of it So my family so my father came again similarly I think dad dad is about 40 years in the village and he came and, and then so he was running the hotel and then my uncle Louis joined him and my father's retired now so myself and Louis are now running the hotel so uh, so it's uh, gone to the next generation so and and hopefully another generation after that we'll see see how it goes was it hotel whenever he came here or was it like yeah. in terms of the building and the history was it a coach mm. house at so some stage? exactly so originally it was a coach house so it is the oldest it's one of the oldest hotels in ireland and the uk and it was in the first michelin guide had their centenary in 2011 and the dunraven arms was in the very first michelin guide in 1911 uh, and there was only, I think, in, in those times, there were about 20 hotels between the UK and Ireland that were in it. And I think the Dunraven Arms, one of the few that still remains a hotel. Uh, so, yeah, it's amazing history. And a lot of people have passed through through the hotel and through the doors um, in, in that time. It's, uh, mid mid 18th century so yeah a long 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 time the international visitors must be particularly interested in that yeah i think so i mean there, there's an awful lot of history and i think they enjoy that i think it's a, it's a big attraction particularly for the americans we get a lot of chinese tourists now and they they love to come to adair there's an awful lot of history not just with the hotel but with the village itself uh with adair manor with the cottages in the village so it's 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 great. It makes it a it's a destination for for people to come to them as well. And for such a small place, you actually can spend a very long time here yeah. and just relax yeah. and wandering around, yeah. taking in the atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, we're we're lucky. There's an awful lot of activities. I mean, we've the wonderful castle just over the river. There we have the Clanshire Equestrian Centre. You've the 
the two golf courses in the village. So there's an awful lot to do between historical sites to visit, between activities to do. Uh, it, the, the village itself is amazing between all the coffee shops. We have wonderful restaurants in the village. There's 1826. Uh, you know, you've you've lots of ladies' shoe shops and clothes shops, and, but it's wonderful and it attracts an awful lot of people to the village. We're, we're very lucky. In terms of food then, here in the hotel, David Hayes heads up the, the culinary team and the Sunday lunch. Now, I want to talk to you about the Sunday lunch because I'm not a huge fan of roast beef, but I could never go buy the roast beef in the hotel restaurant here. It's yeah, very famous. It is. And I think we have it. Uh, we, we, we have it right at this stage. We've been doing it for a very long time. So we carve the whole rib of beef and it is and it's it's fantastic. It's it's kind of it's it's a, an icon of the Dunraven Arms and we carve it on the trolley then each Sunday uh, and we carve it how the guests like it. And, and it's lovely. I mean, we, we put a lot of work and Dave put, puts a lot of work into other dishes and garnishes, but the, the beef is kind of the, the, the standout. A big seller, I'd say. Big seller, yeah. And it is lovely the way you can say, yes, I'll have a couple of rare pieces and I'll have a few of the crispy bits. I love the crispy bits, I have to say. And then, of course, I have a husband that always sits there eyeing it up when he's finished and it's, would you like some seconds, sir? So you're very generous with it. Yeah, I think so. And, that, and that's what we're known for. And it's, it's funny, you meet people and and I think their their first memory of the Dunraven Arms is the beef. So, uh, and and thankfully it's still going. Thankfully people still want it. So we keep keep doing it, and and people are very happy with it. So, do you find that some of the international visitors that's what they would be specifically requesting? And for weddings, for yeah, example, is so. it very popular? Yeah, it's very popular with with wedding wedding parties. It's very popular with guests. I mean, it is. You know, in in Ireland we've fantastic produce, and I think we're getting better all the time. We've wonderful cheese we've obviously because we're an island we've wonderful fish but the beef is superb i mean we're, we're kind of we're known for it so it's great to be able to show it off and in particular with international guests who come to Ireland, it's great to be able to show off the wonderful beef that we have and then for weddings when you're when you're hosting large functions it, it's more difficult because you have to get the consistency of the food right and i think when you do that and, and people have the beef that's what they remember and i think particularly with weddings they remember the food. I think it's the one thing of a wedding that you'll always remember is what you ate on the day of the wedding. So it's important to get that right. And that's that's what people remember. And I think that people's expectations at weddings have changed greatly over the past 30 years because there used to be a time, and now I'm from the north, so I could be coming from a different culture here, that really the food wasn't high on the agenda and the provider wasn't that concerned about the food. It was just kind of get it out and get it in them and away you go. But as you say now, the food is like it's very important and they would be having tasting menus and everything beforehand to decide what they're going to serve up on the day yeah it's it's a huge element i mean it's 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 a very competitive market the wedding market and, and we you, you have to be unique you have to be different and that's what we we try to do but i suppose the most important thing again is the food and if you've fresh produce you know we get wonderful fresh fish and you've you've beautiful beef then you're you're kind of you don't have to do a huge amount but if you've proper ingredients then you can you're, you're you'll go very far with that then as well but i think expectations you know that with weddings are completely different it's not just a uh all drink you know it's it's the whole experience of the day so you need to have the beautiful gardens you know, you need to have the beautiful venue. The ballroom looks to needs to look amazing. The food has to be superb, and you have to get everything right for the whole day. And again, you've you've a large number of people that you've to cater for, and you've to keep 
every single one of them happy and otherwise it's it, it goes out it, it can either be good comments or bad comments so when you do a wedding you want every time all of your guests to go out and rave about the Dunraven Arms Hotel so and, and thankfully I think we're lucky I think we achieve that most of the time and it sounds like you're a huge advocate for sourcing local ingredients and using local yeah. suppliers yeah I mean it's it's um, it's it's amazing how how food has developed in this country in in such a I'm in the hotel in 10 years and it's incredible in 10 years how we've we've completely you know importing food has completely changed now we look at our own ingredients we look at our own cheeses you know you talk about cashew blue cheese St. Tola's goat's cheese uh, the burn smokehouse uh, salmon you know there, there's amazing range of food that we can get uh, within Ireland you know it's 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 incredible the the we get all our lettuce leaves from the, um, the Ballyhara mountains you know it's it's amazing where you can get everything comes within an hour of the hotel you can get absolutely everything for your dinner menu from there which is there's great. lots of little suppliers springing up all the time yeah. I think the organic college in Drumcolaher has yeah. been great yeah. for encouraging people to start up their own enterprises which can be quite lucrative for them which is super and what it does as well is it becomes more competitive and i suppose the expectation of people improves so the quality of the 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 produce that they're making is always increasing always getting better which lets us as a hotel for a restaurant or for our weddings that we can improve the food that we're using because we're improving the produce which is great so it benefits benefits everybody you must be noticing lots of changes in people's dietary requirements Mm. that they've lots of different maybe ailments isn't the right word but um they want specific things or things cooked a specific way items on the side Uh, how challenging is that for you it's again it's it's kind of it is a challenge but it's kind of everyone kind of adapts to it i mean that's the the everything always changes and i think the 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 you have to adapt to those those needs so in, in terms of things obviously you have a lot of celiacs nowadays which is no problem and you find suppliers now you can get very good celiac products that you can supply to guests so it's not really an issue uh, vegetarians vegans i mean it's not very difficult to cater for them and do it nicely as well you know again you don't want to just put something up that they get the same everywhere you want to do something different so we do quite a lot of work in terms of trying to do different dishes that will cater for for a vegetarian request but that anyone can have you know it doesn't matter if you're a meat eater you'll still eat that dish and you'll enjoy that dish if you want to then as well can you recall the most unusual request you've had oh an unusual request um yeah, I think I, I remember one particular bride. She had to have chips with her with her meal on her wedding day, which I thought was a pretty uh, pretty unique request for a bride's wedding day. But she had to have her chips and her ketchup, which she had for every single dinner. Uh, but you get you get lots of different requests, and uh, I thought that was a bit of fun. But the, there's lots. But I generally, to be fair, they're very easy to cater for then as well. So that reminds me, whenever I got married, I'd asked the hotel for the evening food that there would be egg and onion sandwiches because I love egg and onion sandwiches. And I was standing at the bar talking to somebody and a young server came over with a full plate of egg and onion sandwiches. And he said to me, you'd ordered these. I said, yes, I meant them to be included in the selection going out. I said, what you can do now is take them inside and wrap them up. And I'd be looking for them now at two o'clock in the morning in the bar. So I'm sure they thought I was a bit of a bridezilla asking 
for that but that was just a miscommunication on my part I didn't make it understood that it was just to be included with all the other sandwiches so we don't mean to be bridezillas <laughs> but the ketchup and chips um, definitely an unusual one definitely. in terms of the future now mm. of the Dunraven Arms you know you're always innovating changing menus What's what does the future hold? Yeah so we've done a lot of work we, we completed our new conservatory last year and this year we, we refurbished 10 rooms in the, the original part of the, the hotel so we've completed that now as well so I think going forward we, we've big plans in terms of refurbishing the product I think at the moment what we want to do is is do a lot of work on what we have to improve it to bring it up to a higher standard so we're, we're continuously doing a lot of work in terms of painting but we're going to do a lot of work on refurbishing more rooms within the hotel uh, we also are going to do a big project on our leisure centre um, so yeah, we've a lot, a lot to do. It's funny you complete a job and then you look at the next list and it kind of it, it keeps on going. So there, there's plenty, plenty to do. It's never ending, I would mm. imagine, in terms of maintenance and the grounds and everything yeah. at this time of the year. Like they look pristine, so there's obviously a lot of time and effort goes into that. Yeah, and we do. We'll do all our summer planting now in the next week or two as well. So I mean, the gardens will will look fantastic. And again, we've done a lot of work on on, on our gardens. We still have quite a bit more to do, but they will. They'll, they're going to look fantastic this summer. Well, listen, thanks so much for talking to me today. Congratulations again on the most recent award to go with the many awards you already have and continued success for the future. Thank you very much. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Congratulations again to Hugh and all the team at the Dunraven Arms on their latest award, which is very well deserved. Now we are almost at the end of the programme but before we finish up I bumped into Teresa's story from the Green Apron last week and Teresa is one of many involved in the Limerick Food Group and she was telling me about a new festival that's set to take place in Limerick City and County this autumn, the Pigtown Festival. Let's find out what it's all about. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Teresa, there's a new festival coming to Limerick. Tell us about it. Um, We're calling it the Pigtown Series. So the Limerick Food Group uh, have put together the Pigtown Series. So it's going to be a series of food and culture, food culture related events based uh, in Limerick, city and county. And it's happening over September and October this year. So there's plenty of time before it happens, but there's lots of planning needs to be done first. We're currently putting together the programme, well, the preliminary programme. So we're looking for submissions from people who want to put something in the programme, if they have some sort of an event that they can make Limerick food themed or even food themed. We're not even just... Limerick's culture, food culture, has changed from just the pig town hamness. So we're talking about different cuisines. You know, when the Italians came, they brought fish and chips. You know, now we have the Chinese. And with our African community, it's completely changed. And with our Polish community, there's Polish stores with fantastic foods everywhere. So this is now part of Limerick's food culture. So we're looking for... Anybody who's looking to put in an event to send a submission. So the scope is very wide. As you say, pig town, you think ham, pigs, obviously, but it's not just about that. It's not just about that, especially since there's so many vegetarians. They'll be like, "Mm, can we do something apart from pig? We're also doing some vegan beyond the pig events. And always nice for people and businesses in the county to get involved as well. It's not Limerick City centric. It's absolutely not Limerick City centric. You know, we want everybody to feel that 
where were the pigs grown? They weren't grown in Limerick City. They were shipped in from the county. The county feeds the city. And the markets that were in the city, well, they were all being fed from the county. So it's um, very much all Limerick. One of your areas of expertise is foraging. So is that something that we can expect to see in the programme? Yes, I was going to do uh, urban foraging because there's a lot of stuff that people don't recognise as a food. They're just looking at as weed growing up in their lawn. And there's a lot of plants that we grow as ornamentals that are actually completely edible. So like viburnum, which everybody goes, oh, that's so pretty. But some of the species are actually called a cranberry, a wild cranberry. Now, they're not technically a cranberry, but they make a jam. So let's start picking everything. Have you lots of foraging classes coming up over the summer? I have a range of foraging classes coming up. You can check our website at thegreenapron.ie. And I'm also at Body and Soul Festival. And it's not foraging per se. We're um, I'm doing a booze, bitters and botanicals and the kind of cordials and boozes that you can make from wild and garden fruit. We're making like blackcurrant leaf mojitos and meadow sweet syrup for your champagne and everything else. So it'll be very tasty. The farm must be in full flourish at the moment and you must be flat out making I, all I, of your lovely products. Um, I'm mostly out there trying to take hold of all the weeds and the trees, cutting back trees. You know, there is uh, hawthorn bushes, just the hedges are fantastic. They're laden with flowers and they smell fantastic. But I'm like, uh, you need to be cut back because you don't need to be six foot tall. So uh, I'm kind of being plant murderer at the moment. And if somebody was in the milk market on a Saturday there at your stall, what goodies do you have for sale at this time of the year? At this time of the year, we've got a lot of rhubarb and ginger and we're just coming into strawberry season. Actually, um, the strawberry farm that comes into the market, they're bringing their first strawberries in next week. So we'll be getting some of those and getting our new strawberry and strawberry and rhubarb mix coming out. So. Are they, is it like a jam or what is that? Now? The strawberry and rhubarb, it's a jam. So it's weird but delicious it sounds good yeah. it sounds very good so if people want to find out about the pick time series and how to put their submissions in when do they have to have them in by and where do they send them for the preliminary um for the preliminary program we would like submissions in by the ni- 17th of may and send them to pigtownfestival at gmail.com and there's a facebook page and there's a facebook page as well put pigtown in Teresa, thanks a million for that best of luck with it great idea i'm really excited about this because we're not just having food producers but um the art people and the music people are all getting involved and also um the hotel so it's not just producers it's the hotels and the pubs and everything so everybody's feeling very oh limerick has great food so I'm excited. Well, let's hope a number of them in West Limerick will get involved now because it'd be great to see a few events taking place around the county as well. That would be brilliant. Loads of potential there. I think so. It will certainly put Limerick on the map as a food destination, which we should be. We have the Golden Vale best produce and we've got the best market in the country. So couldn't agree more. Best of luck with it. Thanks. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Great to chat to Teresa there and it sounds like it's going to be a super festival and I'll keep you posted about the programme of events as I get the details. And a reminder of a great event on this Friday to Monday. It's at Ballymaloo. It's the Lit Fest, a food and drinks literacy festival. Visit litfest.ie for all the details and sure, I might see you there. Be sure to say hello if you are.
That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks for listening and to all of my guests, Ron Forrestal, Kira Brennan, Hugh Murphy and Teresa Storey. I look forward to returning at the same time next week, all being well, to share some great food and drink stories with you. So until then, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.